good with them soft lips Yeah, you know word of mouth The square root of 69 is A-something, right? Cause I been trying to work it out I'm good, white wine, uh I come alive in the nighttime, yeah Okay, away we go Only thing we have on is the radio If you didn't know their names before they entered this Super Bowl 57, you knew what their names were after this performance by Patrick Mahomes and quarterback Jalen Hurts. And of course, the beautiful Rihanna at halftime put on a spectacular show. But we're going to get into what happened at Super Bowl 57. And here we go. On Uptempo Sports 24-7 with your host, Coach P. Let's get right into the highlights of Super Bowl 57. So many things that we can talk about that occurred in this Super Bowl. So many historic things that occurred. The first thing is the performance of these two black quarterbacks. For years, black quarterbacks had a stigma attached to them, that they weren't smart enough, that they were just athletic, that they could not run a franchise, that they could not be the face of a franchise. Well, Super Bowl 57 was the ultimate stage for both of these quarterbacks to show the world that times have changed and that the face of your organization is going to start looking like one of these young men. We'd already seen Patrick Mahomes on this stage. We've seen him win a Super Bowl against San Francisco a few years ago. This was Jalen Hurts' first appearance in the Super Bowl. And boy, did he put on a show. And if not for the spectacular performance by Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles may be raising that Lombardi trophy. But instead, Patrick Mahomes shows us why. He may be the greatest talent to ever play quarterback in the NFL as the Kansas City Chiefs prevail in one of the best Super Bowls we've seen in recent history, 38-35. Patrick Mahomes, second half, was on fire. We thought that for a second we may not see him in this game in the second half because on a scramble in the second quarter, he re-aggravated that high ankle sprain on that right leg again. You could see him when he went off the field grimacing in pain and yelling out in pain. But once again, he goes to the locker room and Superman puts on his cape and carries the Lombardi back to Kansas City. Two out of the last four years, Patrick Mahomes has the honor of lifting that Lombardi trophy. He also has the honor of lifting that MVP award. No quarterback since 1999 who had won the league MVP, the Super Bowl MVP, was able to also win the Super Bowl in the same season. The last quarterback to do that in the same season was Hall of Fame quarterback Kurt Warner. Quarterbacks since 1999 have been 0-8 until Patrick Mahomes was able to pull out this victory for Kansas City. 
three touchdowns in the second half. Kansas City's defense is what turned the tide in this game. In the first half, the Eagles got the ball first. They went straight down the field and scored. And you look and you ask yourself, is this going to be the pattern for this entire ball game? Of course, Patrick Mahomes had a lot to say about that because on their first offensive drive, Patrick Mahomes goes to his favorite target, probably the best tight end in the NFL and on a pathway to first ballot Hall of Fame when he retires, one Travis Kelsey puts Kansas City back into this game and ties this game at seven apiece. We went back and forth like a two prize fighters in this game. Philadelphia was able to take control of this game after Buckner for the Kansas City Chiefs missed a field goal in the first quarter at halftime. Kansas City found themselves down four, I'm sorry, found themselves down by 10, 24-14. And like I said, you wondered if you were going to see Patrick Mahomes in the second half because it did not look good. But once again, Patrick Mahomes shows us why he is the best quarterback in the NFL today and showed us why he by far may be the most talented quarterback that we've ever seen as he puts Kansas City on his back, and in the second half, he leads them to 24 points in the second half to grind out a last-second victory. Let's talk about Jalen Hurst for a second. We can give all the accolades to Patrick Mahomes because it's well-deserved, But coming into this game for Philadelphia, there were some doubts about how Jalen Hurts was going to perform. We've seen him on the big stage in the collegiate level, and he was not able to get over the hump. We saw him get relieved of his duties in a national championship game, and that's how Tua Tagovailoa was able to establish himself and force Jalen Hurts to transfer from the University of Alabama to the University of Oklahoma. Well, folks, Jalen Hurts showed you that he was well prepared for the moment. He showed you that he is on a trajectory to be the next franchise quarterback, truly franchise quarterback in the NFL. Jalen Hurts put on, like I said, if it wasn't for Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts hands down would have won MVP of this Super Bowl. Let's give you some stats for Jalen Hurts in the Super Bowl, and it's why we told you about records being shattered. Jalen Hurts tied Terrell Davis, Hall of Fame running back for the Denver Broncos, for the most rushing touchdowns in Super Bowl history with three. Jalen Hurts also became the first quarterback to have three touchdowns, three 100 yards passing, and 70 yards rushing. That is a Super Bowl record. He surpassed the late Steve McNair for most most rushing yards by a quarterback in the Super Bowl when Steve McNair rushed for 64 yards against the St. Louis Rams. But Jalen Hurts rushed for three 
touchdowns in Super Bowl 57. Also, in this record-breaking Super Bowl, Jalen Hurts also became the first quarterback since Jim McMahon in 1985 with the Chicago Bears to score multiple touchdowns. Jim McMahon had two touchdowns in that Super Bowl against the New England Patriots. Again, Jalen Hurts, three touchdowns. That's what I'm saying is that we saw a fantastic Super Bowl. And I know a lot of people, especially Philadelphia fans, are probably still in their feelings, feeling as though that the game was marred at the end because the referees finally did their job. Because in the second quarter of this game, there was a James Bradbury penalty against Juju Smith-Schuster that did not get called. Let's flash back now to the fourth quarter with about a minute and a half. You have the same two players, James Bradbury, cornerback for the Philadelphia Eagles, Juju Smith-Schuster, wide receiver for the Kansas City Chiefs. Off the line of scrimmage, Bradbury grabs Juju. Then he hooks him around the waist. Now, a lot of football people said that if he had on white gloves, maybe it doesn't get called because Bradbury had on black gloves, black gloves, so it stood out when he grabbed Juju around the waist. He had on a white sleeve, but he had on black gloves. The white sleeve blended in with Juju's white jersey. And a lot of people were saying that if he would have had on white gloves, maybe the same would have resulted and maybe the referees would have missed it. Where they definitely missed the penalty in the second quarter. And most people are saying, well, why you pick that moment to throw that flag? There's no conspiracy here, folks. This is the problem with the officiating, not only in football, but across the sporting world. If the officials did their job from the beginning of the game, there would be no conspiracy theory at the end of a game because you had consistency throughout the game that calls would be made. The problem is, is that they pick and choose when they throw the flag. And the flag should have been thrown in the second quarter because it was an obvious pass interference that should have been called against Bradbury. This was an obvious defensive holding call against Bradbury. Then you have people that want to say, well, the pass was not catchable. Well, first of all, can the receiver be able to get and make a break in his route to get to the ball, to have a chance to catch the ball before you say the ball is uncatchable? Everybody wants to be judgmental and upset about the game ending the way that it did. But if you were that team, if you were a Kansas City Chiefs fan and they did not call that passing for I mean, the defensive holding call and they only got a field goal out of that drive and let's say hypothetically Philly gets the ball back and they go down and score the winning touchdown then Kansas City fans would be just as upset as Philadelphia fans today because they would feel like they got shafted because the referees didn't throw the flag on an obvious play and you say well they could throw the flag on most plays and that would be correct but there are some calls that are more obvious than others. And in this game, those two plays in the second quarter and in the fourth quarter, 
Both of those were obvious calls that both should have been made. It should not have come down to the last call. But even James Bradbury, the corner for the Eagles, admitted, I held Juju. And I was hoping that they would not make the call. So how much more evidence do you need, Eagles fans? I understand losing a heartbreaker. understand losing and not having an opportunity to get the ball back. But if your defense had to perform better throughout the course of this game, then maybe, just maybe, it wouldn't have come down to a flag that prevents you from getting the ball back and having Kansas City be able to run the clock out and get a game-winning field goal. Philly came into this game with all the hype. They came into this game with a lot of people saying they had the best offensive line in the NFL. A lot of people said their defense was the best in the NFL. They led the league with 70 quarterback sacks. They also had four defensive players on their line that had double-digit sacks, led by Hassan Reddick with 18 and a half. No one got a sack on 1-5, Patrick Mahomes, in this game. I think Kansas City's offense took the challenge. All they heard the whole week leading up to the Super Bowl was how dominant Philadelphia's Eagle, Philadelphia Eagles' defense was. They heard how dominant that Philadelphia's offensive line was to control the line of scrimmage. Well, Kansas City had other plans. Chris Jones is a dominant figure himself for the Kansas City Chiefs. Frank Clark has been on a mission in these playoffs for the Kansas City Chiefs on the defensive side of the ball. Nick Bolton, the outstanding second-year linebacker, has been outstanding throughout the course of the year, and he got a uh, big touchdown, defensive touchdown, that tied this game up in the first quarter. Um, so, I'm sorry, that tied the game up in the second quarter at 14-14. So, for everybody that's an Eagles fan that wants to complain about the outcome of this game, go back and look at the opportunities that you all let slide through your fingers. If you play better on defense, if you get a better pass rush, if your corner knows that he already got away with a flagrant holding slash pass in the first, in the first half, why go back to the well again and thinking that this time it's not going to get caught? I mean, it's just like you cheating on a test. If you get away with it once, why would you try to do it again and think that the, ch the chances are that you're going to get away with it again? It just doesn't make sense. And so, again, everybody wants to complain about the flag being thrown. Let's give you a basketball reference. I have two for you. Remember a couple of weeks ago when the Lakers played Boston and LeBron, towards the end of the game, attacked the basket and was clearly fouled by Jason Tatum. The referees swallowed the whistle. The game, went, the game goes into overtime and the Lakers end up losing to the Celtics. The NBA comes back out the next day and wants to say, yes, it was a definite foul. LeBron should have been going to the free throw line. That's not a consolation prize. Because 
that was a big opportunity for the Lakers who are struggling to try to make their way to the playoffs. They could have won that game. They should have won that game because I'm guaranteeing you right now, LeBron makes one of those one of those two free throw opportunities and they win in regulation. You can't come back after you make a, a, a profound mistake like that, that everybody is watching on TV. Millions are watching on TV and then you have about 16 to 18,000 is watching in the, in the arena and then they're seeing the highlights and everybody's like, how do you not make this call? Jason Tatum is definitely on the rise as one of the best players in the NBA. That doesn't mean that you can't call an obvious foul on him when he creates a foul. We have to be better with the officiating in all our sports. So let me give you another example of a blown play by the officials. This past Saturday night, the Duke Blue Devils were playing the Virginia Cavaliers in Virginia. Tie ball game with eight-tenths of a second to go in the game. Duke has the ball. They inbounds it, and their freshman, big 6'11 freshman, attacks the rim trying to go for a dunk. Two Virginia players come over to commit to trying to prevent him from getting a basket. He's fouled twice. There's one defender that's in front of the rim. There's another one coming from the side. The freshman for Duke is fouled twice. It's two-tenths of a second on the clock when he gets fouled. They go to the review and they announce that it was after the foul occurred after the game clock showed zero. One of the announcers at this game was Dickie V. And anybody that knows Dickie V knows how much Dickie V loves Duke. Dickie V even said, that there was no time left when this young man for Duke was fouled. I found that very hard to believe. They showed this replay four times. And every time they showed the replay, there was still two-tenths of a second left when this young man got fouled. The game goes into overtime because the referee swallowed a whistle. They wave off the foul and Duke loses in overtime. The next day, the ACC comes out and apologizes to Duke and says that, yes, he should have gone to the free throw line. So in conclusion, all these officials from every sport need to be more cognizant when calls are made and not swallow the whistles, not think about the moment, but think about is the call the right call to make? Like I said, if there's a foul in the first half, it's a foul in the second half. It's a foul in the beginning of the game, and it's a foul at the end of the game if it is a foul. If it's a pass interference at the beginning of the game, it should be a pass interference at the end of the game if it is what it appears to be. You can't pick and choose, and that's the problem that most fans have with officiating across the board, that it seems like sometimes, sometimes it seems like that the referees throw the whistles too, I mean, throw the whistles, I'm sorry. Seems like referees blow the whistle too much and throw the flag too much sometimes when it's not needed. And then when they should blow the whistle and throw the flag, 
then they want to keep it in their pocket and they want to keep the whistle around their neck. But I digress. Want to also talk about real quick that this Super Bowl that we witnessed, we told you with so many historic aspects about this. 73 points scored in this Super Bowl. The second highest Super Bowl score in NFL history, in Super Bowl history, behind Super Bowl 29 between the San Diego Chargers and the San Francisco 49ers, where Steve Young and the 49ers dominated from beginning to end the uh, San Diego Chargers. So when you think about this Super Bowl, think about these historic aspects. Two black quarterbacks entertained us for an entire game. Two black quarterbacks put on historic competition, historic numbers, and broke records. If we look back at this, hopefully we won't have to point out in the future that this Super Bowl had historic events made by two black quarterbacks. We can just talk about the Super Bowl and what occurred and not have to bring the racial overtone into it. But I feel like that's something that should be spoken about because believe me, if these two quarterbacks did not perform the way that they did or this game was not on par the way that it was, there would be so much criticism, so much pointing of the finger, so much, oh, uh, backdrop with some people saying, oh, we told you that, you know, you couldn't have two black quarterbacks uh, playing in the Super Bowl and we have uh, the type of game that, you know, most football fans would enjoy. We won't have to worry about that, folks. That did not happen. I'm so proud of both of the both of these young men and the way that they performed. I'm proud of the way this game went in regards to just a high performance by both teams. And also want to talk about the performance of Rihanna. But we'll do that when we come back after we pay a few bills. This is Uptempo Sports 24-7. Thank you for joining us. All right, all right. Welcome back to Uptempo Sports 24-7 with Coach P. And this is our theme for this episode is Miss Rihanna. Let's say Mother Rihanna. That's right. It looks like Rihanna is pregnant once again with another bundle of joy to come into this world. So we want to talk about her great performance because 
even though she may be carrying a bundle of joy, she gave the world a bundle of excitement and a bundle of entertainment. The show was spectacular, in my opinion. Uh, last year's Super Bowl performance was spectacular, and I think this one was right along on par with, with this performance. Um, and also right up there with uh, the iconic performance by Prince um, in the Super Bowl with um, the Indianapolis Colts and the Chicago Bears down in Miami. So Rihanna did, did her thing. It was a great performance. She was as beautiful as always and even more beautiful because she was radiant, showing that mother glow. And so uh, probably was even more exciting to be in that stadium in Glendale to see it firsthand. But I tell you what, I enjoyed every moment of it um, just from what I saw on TV. So uh, thank you, Rihanna, for that outstanding performance. And thanks to the NFL for selecting her as the halftime entertainment this season. Let's go back and let's talk a little bit more about football. Um, the question that we have to ask ourselves now is, is Kansas City a dynasty? Most people will say no, because most people view a dynasty as having three Super Bowls. But what you will be able to say about this is that Patrick Mahomes is not going away. He's not going anywhere, folks. And with the way that Andy Reid can draw plays, and that was the thing that I said going into this game. I know everybody was talking about Philadelphia and their offense, offensive line, the defensive line, their running game. I don't know what happened to Miles Sanders in this game. I saw him on, I think he got two carries, and then he disappeared. I don't know if that was because he had a fumble. I don't know if that was because he was injured, but he had no impact on the game from a rushing attack. The person who had the biggest impact rushing the ball was actually their quarterback. And that's something they're going to have to take into consideration too because it's almost time for Jalen to get paid. Now, do you want your quarterback running the ball as much as they had designed plays for him to run the ball? There's a difference to run the ball to escape the pressure there's as it is to design plays for your quarterback to be running the ball that is one of the things that we talk about with buffalo that we think that buffalo's offense is too josh allen centric that he runs the ball too much you have to incorporate your running game with your running backs we saw this with big ben in pittsburgh we saw this with cam newton in carolina these guys running the ball being the focal point of the running game. And as a result, although they did have long careers, they still got beat up. And the end of their careers, you just did not like the way that it ended for these quarterbacks. And we don't want to see that happen with Josh Allen or Jalen Hurts. Now, Jalen Hurts may not be as overall as big as the three quarterbacks that we named. But the one thing about Jalen Hurts is, and if you don't know, then you should have seen it in this game. He is a powerful young man, especially in his lower body. He is one of the strongest young men in the weight room, squatting 600 pounds at quarterback. Listen to that, folks. 
a quarterback squatting 600 pounds. It's unheard of. But this is the work ethic of this young man. And Philadelphia, they know that they got lucky when they decided to draft him in the second round a few years ago when everybody thought, why would you be drafting a quarterback when you already had Carson Wentz? Well, it's a good thing that they did because now they don't have to worry about their franchise leader because they found him in Jalen Hurts. Again, even though they didn't win, I want to say salute to Jalen Hurts. Wish him all the best going forward, even with the contract negotiations. Although Philly is in my division because I'm a Cowboy fan, I will give praise where praise is due, and Jalen Hurts deserves all the flowers right now. Now, do I want to see them uh, continue to get better as a team? No, sir. But I'm going to give this young man all the accolades that he deserves because he has earned it. Let's stay in the NFL and talk about the final two coaching positions that have been filled. Ironically, the Philadelphia Eagles not only lose the Super Bowl, but they also lose their top two coordinators. Their offensive coordinator, Shane Steichen, now becomes the head football coach of the Indianapolis Colts. And their defensive coordinator, Jonathan Gannon, becomes the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. The interesting thing about the Indianapolis Colts hire is that it appeared that owner um, Jim Ursay was so infatuated with Jeff Saturday, the former Pro Bowl offensive lineman that played for Indy um, and who Ursay brought in with no professional head coaching experience to take over the sidelines when they fired Frank Reich during the season. Going into this process, it appeared as though Jeff Saturday was going to be the uh, number one candidate. But by all accounts, it seems like that offensive coordinator from Philadelphia, Shane Steichen, really impressed the ownership along with um, the, the GM. And so it's going to be even more interesting to see how much latitude he has in the decision-making of what could be one of the most important decisions that this coach organization is going to have to make in the last few years. They've been trying to pace together that quarterback position. They started with uh, Phillip Rivers, then they went to uh, Carson Wentz, and they turned the reins over to Matt Ryan this past season, only to see that fizzle out as well. So one of the biggest decisions other than the hiring of this new coach is going to be what the coach do at number four with that draft pick. I believe that Bryce Young will be gone. If that's either drafted, either he'll be drafted by the Chicago Bears or possibly at number two to the Texan, Houston Texans. I don't believe that anybody should be moving up in this draft to draft a quarterback. I like Bryce Young. He's a little small. Um, will Levis appears to be the, the uh, number one prospect because of his size, arm strength. C.J. Stroud showed me something 
in that semifinal game when he was at Ohio State against Georgia. He showed me that he could use his legs. I had not seen that aspect of his game since he had been at Ohio State. The problem is, is that, is that going to be enough to sway a team to possibly want to jump up to get him? I think that he'll definitely be a top 10 pick only because of the fact that there's so many needy teams that that are looking for their next franchise quarterback. The dilemma in Chicago is interesting because of the fact that Justin Fields was not the guy that the current staff, meaning coaching staff and the general manager drafted. So now you have to ask yourself, are they going to move on from Justin Fields because he was not their draft pick to go get the guy that they want to be in that position? I believe that they should build around Justin Fields. You saw a lot of positive things from him, especially his athleticism, the ability to be able to run. Now, you don't want your quarterback to run. We just talked about Jalen Hurts and him and the usage of him in the run game. You don't want your quarterback to be the sole priority of running the ball. But to have that as a backup plan, it's not a bad idea. When you have a quarterback that's young and is as athletic as Justin Fields. To me, Chicago needs to get help on the offensive line, even though according to some stats this year, they had the 14th ranked offensive line in the NFL. I didn't see it. Most of the games that I saw Chicago play, the offensive line didn't look that good to me. And Justin Fields always was on the move. And like I said, you don't want your quarterback to be your primary running back. So I think they need to improve their offensive line. They definitely need to get some threats on the outside. I know they made a midseason trade to get Chase Claypool. It didn't appear that he was a part of that offensive scheme at all. I don't know if he came over from Pittsburgh and he was injured or they just did not find a fit for him when he came over to include him in the offense. But he needs to be in the in the offseason. He needs to get himself integrated to be a bigger part of this passing game to help out his young quarterback. And if they do want to move on from Justin Fields, if I'm a team like the Houston Texans, I'm willing to make that move because you see the potential in this young man. And I just think it's just a matter of putting him in the right position. Like I've said before, the quarterback position is a dependent dependent position. And if you don't surround your quarterback with optimal pieces to make him successful, he is not going to be able to reach his full potential. Everybody is not going to be Patrick Mahomes. Everybody is not going to be Tom Brady. Everybody is not going to be Aaron Rodgers from a talent standpoint. Those guys are few and far between. And so you have to be able to develop the offense around the potential of your quarterback that you select. 
And that's what I think gets lost in this whole idea of the NFL draft. All these teams want to draft what they consider to be or hope to be a franchise quarterback, but they never want to give the quarterback the opportunity to develop and grow to reach the potential that they are hoping him to be because they don't surround him with enough talent. That's what's going on in Dallas. Dak Prescott is a good quarterback. I don't think that Dak, Dak Prescott is the type of quarterback, just like Kirk Cousins, statistically they can put up numbers, but they're not the type of quarterback that you're going to put, ask them to do everything and put it on their plate for them to deliver. Again, like I said, Patrick Mahomes is an outliner. You're not going to get that guy. That is a rare talent. That is a almost like once in a lifetime type of ability and talent that we're seeing on display. And so if you're thinking that you're going to have that type of quarterback, you're going to be sadly mistaken. And that's why you should be doing everything as an organization to make sure your quarterback has enough talent to be successful. Because at the end of the day, whether you like the idea of saying that you have to give your quarterback X, Y, and Z, if you want to get to the next level and you want to talk about championships, then provide your quarterback with all the necessary tools he needs to be successful. If you're not going to, then stop trying to go to the draft and draft these quarterbacks. If you're not going to draft a quarterback and you're not going to give him an adequate offensive line, at least two adequate offensive uh, outside receivers, a steady running game, you're, you're, you're not building for, sustain, for sustainability. And you're going to be upset about what your franchise looks like going forward because you thought your quarterback was going to be able to carry you when, again, everybody needs help. That's why Tom Brady in the latter part of his career left New England. That's what Aaron Rodgers was screaming about in Green Bay. And you ask any quarterback. Quarterback's best friend is a dependable wide receiver or a tight end. Jalen Hurts has two monster wide receivers, and he has a up-and-coming Pro Bowl-type tight end in Dallas Goddard. That's what you need to surround your quarterback with. He can have all the athletic ability in the world, but if you don't give him the weapons, you're wasting his ability and the ability of your franchise to move forward to contend for a championship. We're going to take one more commercial break, and then we're going to come back and talk about that super game that was highlighted on Sunday prior to the Super Bowl between two of the best women's basketball teams in the country. A bit of a surprise ending that we didn't see coming. Thank you for tuning in to Uptempo Sports 24-7. We'll be right back.
All right, all right. Welcome back to Uptempo Sports 24-7. And I told you we were going to ride Rihanna during this whole episode because she put on such a great performance at the Super Bowl. Before we start talking about the matchup between the Superweights in women's college basketball, we have to go back to the NFL one more time. And we have to talk about the release of Derek Carr, the nine-year veteran of the Las Vegas Raiders. If the Raiders did not release him when they did, which was by February 15th, which was by today, if they, hadn't, if they had not released him by today, the Raiders would have been on the hook for $40 million guaranteed to Derek Carr. Derek Carr played this poker hand to the best of his ability, which means that he won the game. He won his hand because the Raiders, they knew that they were over barrel. One, Derek Carr had a no trade clause. So it was up to him to make the decision about where he wanted to go. They were trying to um, get something in the works with the Saints. Derek Carr was not having it. And I think it's a smart move on his behalf to utilize the power that he had by not signing off on any deal. Because now what what happens is, is that as a free agent, he can negotiate with anyone he likes. And the new team that signs him are not going to have to give up any collateral or I should say any capital to the Raiders in order to get his services. So that not only benefits him as a quarterback going to a new team and trying to be surrounded with the best talent possible, but it also helps his new team because now they can negotiate with Derek Carr and his agent and they don't have to worry about being on the hook for trading anything to receive him. They can just pay him his new deal, hold on to their draft picks and try to build around Derek Carr. Derek Carr is, to me, um, a quarterback that has the ability to make a team improve. He has the ability to take the team to a playoffs. Now, a lot of people say, well, you know, Derek Carr, he's not that good. Derek Carr is very, very underrated. I think that he has shown that he is could be a cornerstone for a team with all the things, all the chaos that the Raiders went through last year with the Henry, Henry Ruggs um, off the field issues with the internal issues that were going on with um, their organization. Derek Carr was a stabilizing force. When John Gruden was in the midst of being fired, it was Derek Carr that kept that float, kept that team afloat along with Rich Passacci, the interim special teams coach that became the head coach. But it was Derek Carr who was the stabilizing force. It was Derek Carr who put the Raiders on his back the last four weeks of the season to get them into the playoffs. So if any team, to me, is lucky enough to sign Derek Carr, I don't think they're going to be disappointed. Does he have the biggest arm? No. But what he does have is two things that you can't, Put a price tag on. That is the intangible of a leader 
and that of a person who is going to give you everything he has. It's not always about being the best or being the best talent. It's about what you're going to do when your team needs you, what you're going to do when the odds are stacked against you. And we've seen that with Derek Carr. We've seen him play through adversity, not by his own hands, but by the hands of the organization that he played for. And he kept them relevant. So whoever is lucky enough to get the services of Derek Carr, whether it's the Carolina Panthers and the NFC South, if it's the New York Jets, which I hope it's not, if it's um, maybe somebody like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who now with the retirement of the GOAT Tom Brady are in the market for a new quarterback, whomever gets the services of Derek Carr, as long as they can give him quality pieces around, they're going to be happy with that quarterback. And if I'm the Atlanta Falcons, Derek Carr will be somebody I'll be looking at. I know that the Falcons probably, maybe, I'm not going to say probably, but they may be in on trying to get Lamar Jackson. Um, because like I told you all before, I don't think Lamar is going to re-sign with Baltimore because I don't think they're going to meet his price point. Remember, Atlanta's already had one of the most electrifying quarterbacks in the history of the NFL in Michael Vick. Why can't we do 2.0 with Lamar Jackson? That's going to be a story for another day. Keep that, keep that on the forefront as we get ready to get into uh, NFL offseason news and start talking about these uh, potential NFL draft prospects and trades and free agency. All that's coming up. So keep that on the forefront of your mind when you start thinking about Lamar Jackson and the possibility that he could be traded for a bundle to the Baltimore Ravens if they so choose not to resign him at the price point that he's seeking. So let's talk about what we thought was going to be the game of the year until we got to the NCAA tournament, and that was... Number one, South Carolina women versus number three, LSU Tigers, the women's team. Going into that, we going into this super this past Super Bowl weekend, this was labeled as one of the biggest games of the entire year. So much hype, so many different ways to watch this game. And unfortunately, the game didn't turn out the way that we all thought it would. Because South Carolina, if you did not watch this game, they came out like a raging bull. They jumped out to a 16-point lead early, and LSU, to their to their um, credit, were able to claw back in in the first half. They cut the lead to five and six points several times, but it seems like every time... They had a chance to cut that deficit lower than five or six points. Seemed like South Carolina came down and got a key stop, key three-pointer. And unfortunately, to start the second half, they ran away with this. Well, at halftime, they had gone back up by 14. Second half just turned into a rout. And South Carolina, the defending 
national champions won this game going away 88 to 64. Does this mean that LSU is not as good as advertised? No, it does not. What it means is that South Carolina is just that dominant of a force in women's college basketball right now. Don Staley, we already told you, phenomenal coach. And what they were doing defensively against LSU. The other thing was that LSU's best player, Angel Reese, got into early foul trouble and was never seemed like she never was able to get into rhythm in this game. And the guard play for South Carolina was essential because early on, Aaliyah Boston did not look like the uh, All-American that we're used to seeing. But her guards helped her out because the guards were just outstanding, both offensively and defensively. And as a team, as a whole defensively, South Carolina just was locked in from the beginning of the whistle to the end. So I'm sure we'll be seeing these two teams and be talking about these two teams come NCAA tournament time. But for right now, South Carolina looks like a team that could possibly repeat as a national champion. As the dust settles on this episode of Uptempo Sports 24-7, just want to give a little briefing about some of the trades that were made in the NBA and wonder if the teams that made these big moves are going to be happy with the final results. We've seen Kyrie play like the Kyrie we know of, but is that going to be enough for Dallas to make any real noise in the West? We've seen the Lakers make some moves, and with the addition of D'Angelo Russell, be able to get a big win that they needed against Golden State. Now, the reason I'm talking about the Lakers and I'm talking about Dallas Right now, it's because of the fact that we talked about how the optics for what Anthony Davis did on the night that on the night that LeBron broke the all-time scoring record held by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, his body language, and it doesn't appear to be getting any better. Now we hear that he scrubbed his Instagram account of any Laker information, and so. We don't know what's going on behind closed doors. We don't know what's going on with he and LeBron. If something was already perpetuating before that situation that we saw. But I'm here to tell you that it doesn't look like, unless something changes dramatically by the end of this season, it doesn't look like that Anthony Davis is in the plans for the Los Angeles Lakers going forward. And we hear that the Dallas Mavericks are a team that potentially could be going or want to go to pursue a possible summer trade for the services of Anthony Davis. And I think personally, before anybody decides to trade for Anthony Davis, you need to find out if Anthony Davis still has the mindset to be one of the top 75 players does he have the mindset to be in the gym to continue to get better and stronger? Does he have the mindset to try to play through some of these injuries 
and to try to put himself in the best position physically so as not to be always hurt during the course of the season. Some injuries can be prevented. To me, you have to come into camp in shape. You have to dedicate yourself to your craft. And it doesn't appear as though Anthony Davis has been willing to do that. We all know what kind of talent he has when he shows up. But he has not been playing at a high level the last couple of weeks since the trade, right before the trade deadline, and has not played that well after the trade deadline. So to me, I think there's a lot of um, internal things going on behind closed doors with the Lakers. I think that LeBron is sending a message to the organization because he's still been out with that ankle injury. They're saying that it's a lot worse than it that they've let on. Um, so is LeBron trying to tell us that he is not going to come out and play until he feels like he's close to 100% to see how Anthony Davis does? I think the whole plan that was supposed to be in place after the bubble championship was that I think LeBron was ready to pass the torch on to AD so that he could lessen his minutes and just be so much more effective once the playoffs came around. Well, unfortunately, Anthony Davis didn't get the memo and he has not upheld his part of the bargain to be the next guy to take over for LeBron and let LeBron be his Robin to AD being the Batman. It's been LeBron being batman and robin on some nights or i should say most nights but the lakers can't make any noise in the playoffs unless they have a healthy lebron and a healthy and motivated anthony davis stay tuned to this saga with that we say thank you for tuning in to uptempo sports 24 7 we hope that you have an enjoyable evening and as we say when we depart peace and blessings Stay well.